Many people say they know Jesus, but all too often they know about him, but they don't truly know him. For this reason, Dr. David Jeremiah wrote The Jesus You May Not Know, which provides insight about his eternal nature and role on earth and in heaven. This book is yours with a gift of any amount to Turning Point. And for donations of $75 or more, you'll receive the book, He Is Bookmark, Study Guide, and CD or DVD album. Go to davidjeremiah.ca. Welcome to Turning Point. Can your life be filled with God's blessing and also be filled with troubles? The answer can be found in the example of David. Today, Dr. David Jeremiah turns to the 63rd Psalm for proof that God's blessings have little to do with your problems and more to do with your perspective. From When Your World Falls Apart, here's David to introduce his message, A Desert Psalm. Thank you for joining us today. We are studying uh, what to do when your world falls apart, and uh, it's based on a lot of psalms. Uh, And these are scriptures that God used in my life when I was going through cancer some years ago. So these psalms have become very special to me. Uh, The Desert Psalm, Psalm 63, is is great. You're going to be blessed by reading it and and meditating on it. Um, Here you will see the hunger of David and what God did in his life when he was at this kind of low spot. The desert's interesting if you live in California because we're surrounded by it. When I first moved here, that was my first introduction to people going to the desert for a weekend. I'd never heard of any such thing. And I reminded them when I first came, kind of with a smile on my face, that the only time anything like that took place in the Bible was when when Jesus was tempted in the, in the desert. And I wasn't going out there if I could help it. Well, I did go a couple of times, and I could see the beauty of it. The desert is a lonely place, and it's a very good description of what goes on in the lives of many people in life. This psalm will be a blessing to all of you. I hope you'll stay with us as we unpack it here in the next two days. During the month of August, our special resource is a book called Sleep on This. It is a collection of 100 readings to read right before you go to bed at night to help you sleep. And uh, this really works. I mean, you fill your mind with the thoughts of God, calms you down and removes your anxiety and helps you really get some good sleep. And uh, I'm so excited about this book because we created something uniquely special about it. On the off page, the other side of the book, where you read the uh, reflection for the night, there's a QR code. If you don't want to read it, you click on that with your phone and somebody will read it to you. And uh, you can go to bed with the Word of God running through your mind and calming your soul. It's a beautiful uh, padded cover gift book. It's called Sleep on This, and you can get a copy of it by sending a gift to Turning Point during the month of August. That's all you have to do. Just send a gift of any size and say, please send me that book you talked about called Sleep on This, and we'll send it to you right away. I know you're going to enjoy it, and it'll add value to your life. Here's part one of A Desert Psalm, Psalm 63. We're studying the Psalms together, and I would encourage you to open your Bible to Psalm 63. We've entitled this A Desert Psalm. And if you have a copy of the Scripture open to Psalm 63, you will notice that the superscription over the Psalm gives us the title for our discussion. For the superscription reads like this. A Psalm of David 
when he was in the wilderness of Judah, a psalm written in the desert. I would imagine that I can speak honestly when I say that most of us, if we're not totally naive, expect that somewhere along the way during our lives, we're going to experience some difficulty. Nobody really expects to get all the way from the cradle to the grave without a few bumps in the road. Most of us figure we'll get that stuff out of the way when our children are smaller, when we go through midlife, and then we will settle in for the last quadrant of life to enjoy all of the things that we looked forward to enjoying when the pressures were off, and the last part of our life will ultimately be all that we had hoped it would be. Now, we may not be so naive as to believe that totally, but there's at least a portion of that tucked away in our memory bank if we're honest. And that's why it is especially tragic when you read or hear the story of someone who faces their most difficult times in the twilight of their life, such as the story of King David. It wasn't as if he hadn't had trouble already. We all know of his running from Saul and the internal problems within his kingdom. But now as he should have been enjoying his accomplishments, things got worse than they had ever been before. For his family began to come apart at the seams. The setting of the psalm to which we have opened is the story of the rebellion of his son Absalom. Absalom, the one whom the scripture tells us was fair to look at, a good-looking man, one of the few people in the Bible whose outward appearance is described for us. He apparently had charisma, and he had gotten the people of Israel to be his followers, and he began to do his subtle work in the kingdom to overthrow his father's rulership. One of the insights we have from the Old Testament is that he would wait at the gates of the city for the people to come to Jerusalem. And as they gathered to the city, he would begin to talk with them about their problems. The scripture says they came with their lawsuits. And as they would talk with Absalom, he would commiserate with them and he would say something like this. It's really a shame that we don't have a king who cares about you. If we had a king who cared about you, you would be able to deal with these issues. Now, if I were king, I would care about you. And the word got out that Absalom was a man with a heart for the people, while King David had withdrawn from the people and no longer cared. Little by little, Absalom began to gather a following. And word came to King David that there was a coup underway in his own court. The word itself was a sword to his heart. Absalom, his own son, trying to usurp the authority that belonged alone to him. But the story got even more painful. Ahithophel, his favorite counselor and friend, was in on the deal. And Amasa, his nephew, was a part of the coup as well. David didn't know what to do, and as he thought and waited, Absalom's strength continued to grow. Finally, Absalom reorganized himself and set up his headquarters in Hebron, a few miles from Jerusalem, and sent word out to all the kingdom that when they heard the trumpet blow, they were all to rally to his leadership. And when David heard that word, he knew that his only way to deal with this was to get out of the palace and out of the city and away from danger because he feared for his own life. As we open our Bibles to Psalm 63, David has retreated from Jerusalem. 
He's taken his faithful followers with him, his small band of men in his army. They've gone across the Kidron Valley out into the desert of Judah where David is going to try to wait and figure things out. Fortunately for us, we know a little bit about what was going through his mind at the time because he opened his journal and he recorded for us the 63rd Psalm, which tells us what was going on in his heart. Now, I dare say most of us will never have a story as sordid and difficult as the one I've just told you happened to us in our lives. Hopefully, all of our children will be loyal to us to the very end and faithful as our friends and encouragers. But all of us find our way into the desert from time to time. All of us find our way into trouble. Difficulty comes we didn't expect. So David's words here in the Psalm 63 provide for us a mirror into our own lives, a look into our own experiences. And what he teaches us is profound truth. He is vulnerable. He does not try to hide his pain or his anguish. But in the midst of his desert experience, we see and we hear the heart of this man who was called a man after God's own heart. The first thing you notice as you begin to read the 63rd Psalm is that David is now isolated in the desert and he is wanting God. There is this great hunger in his heart for God. He has been deserted by his family And he now has been isolated to the place where his relationship with God has become the paramount thing in his life. Notice what he said. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. One writer pictures David out in the desert And he writes these words, we may imagine the psalmist in the wilderness. It is night and he stands at his tent door. The light of moon and stars falls on a sandy way stretching into dimness and mystery. He is lonely and sad. And the emptiness of all around and the memory of better times breeds this great longing in his soul. Can you imagine it? (laughs) Can you imagine what is in this broken hearted man's soul and mind out in the desert looking around at the parched wasteland and feeling that it represents what's going on in his own life personally as he faced this experience he was drawn again to his love for almighty God first of all we notice his desire oh God you are my God early will I seek you my soul thirsts for you My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. The first phrase in that verse is interesting. It is in the language of the Old Testament. It is Elohim Eli. O creator God, my God. David sees all around him the barrenness and feels the intensity of it in his own soul. And he cries out to the God who has created all things. And he says, O creator God, you are my God. And then he uses three expressions to describe his hunger and thirst for intimacy with that God. He says, Lord, I seek you. Early will I seek you. The first word is the word seeking. 
This expression in the Hebrew is related to the Hebrew word for dawn. And it literally means that the earliest thought he has as he awakens is that he seeks after God. This word, early will I seek you, has such an impact upon this psalm that in the Armenian churches and in the Greek Orthodox churches, they often refer to this psalm as the morning psalm. And in their liturgy, they sing it every morning because of this expression, early will I seek you. David says, I'm seeking after you. Then he uses the expression, I'm thirsting after you. He looks around at the parched desert where there are no wells of water and he feels as if that represents his own life and he has this unquenchable thirst and he wants that thirst to be realized in God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6. And David said in Psalm 42, verse 2, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. This is describing his desire for God. What has caused his desire? He's always had a desire for God, but this experience through which he's now finding himself has driven him to a great hunger. He uses a third expression. Seeking after God, thirsting after God, longing for God. Notice he says, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. The word longing here is actually the word to faint. And David says, Lord, I am such a place where I'm literally without strength and I faint, oh God, for your presence. What is happening to him physically has taken on a spiritual and yet a deeper physical dimension so that he feels the pain in every part of his body and yet that pain drives him to long for God. C.S. Lewis has written a wonderful expression on the Psalms called Reflection on the Psalms. If you enjoy reading the Psalms and you ever find the book by C.S. Lewis, it's worth having because he writes about the Psalms as no one else I have read. And he made this comment about David's hunger for God. He said the poets in David's day knew far less reason than we do for loving God. They did not know that he offered them eternal joy still less that he would die to win it for them. Yet they express a longing for God, for his mere presence, which comes only to Christians in their best moments. When we've been isolated by trouble or difficulty, then that hunger and that cry for God becomes so paramount. What a graphic picture the psalmist is painting for us in the early verses. The dry and thirsty land that surrounds him physically is the picture of his soul without God. He has lived long enough to discover that the world, even the palace, is a desert place of disappointment and discouragement and defeat and would not bring him pleasure. Someone has made this very valid analogy that Satan doesn't know anything at all about pleasure. His specialty is amusement. Only God knows anything about pleasure. How many of us have learned the hard way that when we've been seeking after pleasure, what we end up with is amusement? Pleasure comes from God. In fact, the psalmist writes in Psalm 16:11, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. True pleasure comes from knowing God and knowing that we are known of God and being at rest in his presence. Then David makes a very important decision about God in this section. In verse two he says, so I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. 
Now, in order to understand this, I have to fill in a little empty place about the story of David as he's fleeing from Absalom. The record tells us that as he was leaving the city, unknown to him, Abiathar and some of the priests, Zadok, had gone back into the sanctuary where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And without David's permission, they had put the iron bars through the rings and they had lifted the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. And when they got out of the city and were crossing the Kidron Valley, David realized that they had taken the Ark of the Covenant from the city of Jerusalem and they had brought it out into the wilderness where David was fleeing from his own son. Now, if you study the Old Testament, you know that the Ark of the Covenant was a very important piece of furniture in the tabernacle, for it represented the visible, tangible, almost touchable presence of God. When the Ark was stolen, Israel was in great disarray. The presence of God was symbolized by the Ark of the Covenant. And I don't know about you, but if I'm David, if ever there was a time in my life when I wanted the Ark of the Covenant going along with me into the wilderness, wherever I would go, this would have been the moment. I'll take all the help I can get, thank you. But I want you to read with me what happened from 2 Samuel chapter 15. Notice what it says. There was Zadok also and all the Levites with him bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God and they sat down the Ark of God and Abiathar went up until all the people had finished crossing over from the city. Then the king said to Zadok, carry the Ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. Therefore Zadok and Abiathar carried the Ark of God back to Jerusalem and they remained there. Now isn't that a strange thing? Would you have done that? I don't know if I would have, frankly, in the situation that David found himself in. I think I might have said, just bring the ark. We'll let it trail along with us wherever we go. We need the presence of the Lord. But David sent it back to the city because he knew, first of all, that's where it belonged. And secondly, David needed more than the token presence of Almighty God. He needed the actual presence of Almighty God. He sent the visible representation of the presence of God back with this statement in his heart. If God wants me to be all right with this, I will be. And if he doesn't, I won't be. But what I need now is not the Ark of the Covenant. I need Almighty God himself to descend upon this encampment and be with me through this wilderness experience. How many of you have been there? You've gone through this experience and you don't need somebody to give you something to hang around your neck. You need Almighty God to be there with you in his presence in the midst of it. So he makes this decision and he sends the ark back and he goes out into the desert with the promise of God's presence. In the third verse of the Psalm, we see David's delight in God. He said, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. David's life is hanging in the balance and yet he realizes that true life is only found in God. And he says to the Lord in his prayer, Lord God, you're better than life to me. <laughs> Your loving kindness is better than life to me. How many of you know why God's loving kindness is better than life? It's better than life because it extends beyond life, doesn't it? As we know it here. You know, what a picture this is of the heart of David. Made a lot of mistakes in his life. He was a human leader. 
And yet the one thing that is consistently true of him was that he was a man after God's own heart. And when the pressure was on, he grabbed hold of his relationship with God with both hands. And he sought after God with all of his heart. During my illness, people ask me some interesting questions. Sometimes ask me if I was afraid. And I said, no, I was scared to death. <laughs> and that's the honest truth. A couple of people asked me if I cried. And I wanted to tell them it was none of their business, but that's not a godly thing to do. And up until a period of time after the procedure, I could have said, you know what, I didn't cry. Kind of knew what was coming and God prepared me for it. But there was one day when I cried. And I'm not happy about telling you about my tears, but it serves a very important point here, so let me tell you about it. It was Easter Sunday. Don and I were holed up in a hotel in Del Mar, California for the outpatient stem cell transplant program at Scripps Clinic. Probably the lowest time in the experience. Just happened to be that weekend. And I was feeling lousy. But it was Easter. It was Easter Sunday. So I got up early. And I made my way out into the little living area and I felt I'm going to sit down and turn on the television and find something to encourage me on this Easter Sunday. There was Easter music and great pageantry and worship and I turned it on and I started to watch it and then almost without any knowledge that it was coming, I began to sob convulsively. I was embarrassed. Donna came in from the other room and she said, are you all right? And I said, no, I'm not. I said, I don't want to be in church. I don't want to be here. I don't belong here. I belong in church. And I realized that day how important that is to me. You say, well, Pastor Jeremiah, you're the preacher. I mean, you're supposed to be there. Oh, it's beyond that. And it's not just to preach. I long for the opportunity to worship God and to be with God's people and to realize the joy of being in the house of God desiring to be with him. Now, I know you can be with God without being in church. And I understand all of that. But there's something special about God's place with God's people, and especially on Resurrection Sunday. Amen? Amen. And I vowed in my heart to get better as fast as I could. I think that's what David felt. Out there in the desert, he remembered the experiences in the tabernacle, worshiping with God's people. He remembered the great feast days and all the pageantry of lifting up praise to God. And as he sat there in that desert tent, his heart looked back over those years to that experience. And he cried out for that time of intimacy with God, desiring God. Well, in the next few verses, David gives us some very important clues to what happens while we're in the desert and how we walk with God in the desert. We've expressed his wanting God in the midst of this difficult time. But now we learn what we're supposed to do when we're with God in the desert. And we learn this from reading David's own words. First of all, he begins with this very important key. That when you're walking with God in the desert, you begin by praising him. Verses 4 and 5. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus, I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. David begins his experience in the desert, separated from his kingdom, chased by his son, wondering what's going to happen to him in this twilight of his life 
And he says, the first thing I concentrated on was praising Almighty God. You say, that doesn't make sense. I didn't say it made sense. I just said he did it. And when you get into a situation, you discover that a lot of times the things that other people say don't make sense are the very things that God draws you to do. And how many of you know, when you begin to praise God, even in the desert experience, things begin to change in your own heart and in the matter of perspective. Mm. I don't think we can ever underscore this truth more. It's everywhere in the Bible. You cannot escape it. When you are down, you need to look up. When you're having a difficult time, that's when you praise God and bring the favor of God into your situation, whatever it may be. See, friends, we have been talking a lot about two events, uh, one that has already happened in uh, Alaska, which was a sellout to the very brim, and then, of course, the event that's coming in March when we go to Israel, which is also uh, rapidly uh, filling up. We're going to run out of space in Israel just as we did in Alaska, so you don't want to wait too much longer to make sure you're included in the many, many people who will be traveling to Israel with us in just a few months. But in between all of that, as you, as you think about it, there's another event. It's a, it's a cruise conference to the Caribbean at the end of the year, at the end of uh, December, the beginning of January. Find out about that one as you go to our website. You will enjoy it, and it will be a blessing in your life. And we'll see you next time right here. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, When Your World Falls Apart, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Sleep on This a nighttime devotional with biblical reflections to bring you peace and rest. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series When Your World Falls Apart on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Do you long to know God better? In his book, The God You May Not Know, Pastor David Jeremiah walks readers through how to develop intimacy with God, discover his character, and encounter God's holiness. For a gift of any amount to Turning Point, you'll receive this inspiring book. Gifts of $55 or more will receive The Knowing Set, and gifts of $75 or more will receive The God You May Not Know Set. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. C.S. Lewis wrote, God whispers to us in our joys, speaks to us in our difficulties, and shouts to us in our pain. 
One of the clearest words the Apostle Paul ever received from God was when he was in serious pain. Paul was suffering and asked God to take his pain away. Instead, God gave Paul a wonderful revelation about the sufficiency of Christ to meet his needs. You can read about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. While none of us wants to be in pain, if we find ourselves there, we should do one thing. Listen for the clear voice of God from His Word. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's voice on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.